You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello, I'm Robin Whittaker. And I'm Monica Melanchthon. And this is the episode for Pentecost 20. Monica and I are going to be discussing Exodus 32, 1 to 14, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, and Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. And we're going to start with Exodus. So Monica, tell us, where are we in Exodus this week? Okay, uh, I'm going to begin with uh, just narrating the literary context in which we find Exodus 32. Uh, So I'd like to begin with chapter 19, where the people have arrived in Sinai uh, after leaving Egypt, and there they enter into a covenant with God, uh, and they are uh, introduced to the very explicit instructions from God about worship of idols and other gods and the construction of altars. And then in chapters 20 to 23, we have the the content and obligations of this covenant and in chapter 24 you have a sort of a bridging chapter which connects the book of the covenant and the chapters that follow and then from chapters 25 to 31 we have the plan for the building of the tabernacle and uh, Moses now has gone up to the mountain to receive this plan leaving the people at the base of the mountain under the care of uh, Aaron. So we arrive at Exodus 32 Uh, which contains the story of the golden calf and the reactions of the people, uh, Moses Mm -hmm. and also God. So chapters 32 to 34 have sometimes been referred to as the chapters that contain the stories of the fall of Israel. Um, Because at the heart of the matter, uh, the most important of the commandments, namely, you shall have no other gods before me, has been violated. And Israel has been disloyal, therefore, to this commandment and to to God. So that uh, that is where we are at this particular point. So the... Problem is, does uh, fundamentally not one of disobedience to a law code, but it is also a matter of unfaithfulness uh, to the God mm. who has bound uh, herself, himself to a people, and Israel has violated uh, this established relationship. Yeah, mm. and I mean, in our lectionary, we've skipped several chapters, but last week, if you were in church mm. on Sunday, we of course heard the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, mm. the first of which is that make no other, make no images of mm. God, make no images that you bow down to, and and it doesn't take very long before the people do exactly that Yeah, under Aaron's leadership. But there's a great anxiety here too, right? Mm. Moses has been up the mountain again yeah. and uh, for some weeks and, and they don't know what's happened yeah. to him. Yeah, Moses is delayed. I mean, literally, shamefully delayed, yes. you know. Uh, and this has uh, caused disappointment among the people. And they are not sure if they'll ever see him uh, mm-hmm. again. And uh, uh, therefore, they found it necessary or thought it was necessary to put someone in his place, someone or something that would continue to lead them uh, in the wilderness. And so they gathered uh, around uh, Aaron. The word gathered here in Hebrew is really very interesting because it's not just getting together, okay, but gathered here to rebel. 
Yes, ah. it's almost like um, yeah, to, to stage a war or to right. an act mobbing. of rebellion. Yes. It's mobbing. It's oh. mobbed. They wanted to mob re, uh, Aaron says, come or get up. And, you know, a very, very mm. emphatic imperative uh, is being uh, used here. And make us gods who shall go before us, you know. Uh, so this phrase, who shall go before us, has never been used with reference to Moses uh, or to uh, Yahweh, uh, yes. uh, unmediated. Uh, it was only used with reference to the messenger of God, uh, you know, identified with either the pillar of fire or yes. the cloud. Yeah. Yes, because people follow, you know, they go the cloud or the presence of God, mm. I guess, goes before them. But mm. here now the man Moses mm. is, Moses is referred to in that way. And of course, yeah, mm. they, they want this So image. what they're looking for is actually a, a concrete representation mm. uh, that is a- accessible um, but they can uh, that they can hold on to perhaps or touch. Yeah. You know, we have to think about the fact that these people were worshiping physical representations of God in Egypt. You know, Yahweh yes. had to be reintroduced to them as yeah. a God with no, uh, you know, with without any mm. uh, material, um, uh, you know, an icon or anything like that. So, uh, so therefore, uh, these people were used to worshiping images. Uh, or uh, statues, uh, mm. and so they wanted something. And I, I don't know whether we can be overly judgmental because it's no. not too long after they have uh, they have left uh, Egypt. So therefore, the 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 disobedience here, or some would probably say sin, uh, is the uh, the making of another god that is a false god uh, for the people to worship in place of God or instead of uh, of God. Yeah, and uh, the heat. The Hebrew, from what I understand, is a bit ambiguous because the term Elohim is used for both. Mm. So um, it is possible they think they're making a representation of God mm-hmm. or of another God. Like yeah. both are possible, but yeah. either way it's prohibited. Yeah. But it is that, I mean, and we, we get, right, surrounding cultures worshipped gods that they built statues of, that they had tangible form. Mm. Um, and we see this all the way through as an anxiety in the New Testament as well. Um that there is the absence of Moses and with it perhaps the perceived absence of God. God. And this is a way to say we want to feel God's presence. Mm. So you're right. I mean, I think we yeah. shouldn't judge too harshly because there's yeah. lots of ways we yeah. try and feel God's presence. Yeah. So they they are here, as you have said. You know, they are they have they are overcome with anxiety and uh, perhaps an overwhelming sense of insecurity. Yep. Uh, and so they decide to make a god for themselves mm. that they believed would lead them uh, into the uh, into the promised land. And so they fashion as calf. And so uh, you know, oftentimes people ask why a calf and not a big, big bull or, yeah, <laughs> or an ox or something. Uh, but the calf in our text is not a pejorative term. Mm. Uh, it is uh, uh, it denotes a young ox, one that is full of vigor, um, uh, of youth, you know, yep. uh, and therefore strong. And so, therefore, it is it is a designation uh, that is applied to an animal that produces a lot of milk uh, or that works with you know in the yeah. in, in in plowing and and threshing the feed, yeah. uh, the crop yeah i think i mean before we move on to some of the other mm. themes there's so many themes in this text one mm. could draw out but what you've <coughs> just said monica about the anxiety um, and and i actually love the line that in the robert alter translation talks about them having um swerved quickly from the way mm-hmm. in verse 8 how quickly they've sort of turned mm. because of this anxiety mm-hmm. and i mean so there's a whole theme to play with there about how mm. when we're anxious about our future and our worshiping mm. communities or our church how mm. we can quickly swerve and grasp onto new things or different things mm. um 
instead of actually what they're being called to do is faithfully wait and mm. trust God. Right. Um, right. And therefore God responds to this. If you could yes. read, Robin, what, what does God say in verses 7 to 10? Oh, okay. Mm. Let me read this from Alta. Um, mm. And the Lord says to Moses, quick, go down for your people that you brought up from Egypt have acted ruinously. Mm. They have swerved quickly from the way that I charged them. They have made them a molten calf and bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Mm. And um, I don't know how much you want me to read, but the Lord says to Moses, I see this people and look, it is a stiff-necked people and now leave me be that Mm. my wrath may flare against them and I will put an end to them. And I will make you, that's Moses, mm. a great nation. Mm-hmm. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think the question here is what is God doing or what is God saying when God makes this speech? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I, I guess one can think of several explanations. Yes, God is upset and God wants to punish and, you know, wants to show God's power over, over these people. You know, one mm. can think of many reasons. Uh, but I think God is also inviting Moses to talk to God. You know, God is saying, convince me otherwise. Mm. Okay. Uh, speak to me. Let, you, know, um, uh, you know, when God says, leave me be, as in, your, as in the translation that you just read, yeah. you know, uh, uh, God needs time to think, perhaps, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, perhaps God is also grieving over, you know, yes. uh, this <laughs> these people. Uh, it, so it could be a number of reasons, and and so. Uh, but I think God is also saying, okay, I'm angry at this moment. But if you think otherwise, or I have no reason to uh, be angry, convince me. Yes. Okay. And Moses uh. does right. I mean, here mm. we see a. Um, comparison of the leadership of Aaron who just does exactly what the people say without mm. any challenge mm-hmm. and Moses who's prepared to go I want to say almost head on with God like mm. the relationship with God is so deep mm. that Moses can say why mm. oh Lord why mm. are you angry mm. um, you've brought them out of Egypt why would you destroy your people yeah. this is absurd yeah so <laughs> what what is clear here is that Moses takes up the challenge yeah. uh, and does not retreat before Yahweh's uh, anger uh, and as soon as he's able to utter a word, he pleads for mercy and shields his people. Mm. He does not leave God alone. Uh, you know, um, the, so the boldness of his reply that you find in verses 11 to 14 indicates something of this relationship that Moses shares mm. with God um, and uh, and therefore is uh, is free enough or comfortable enough uh, to enter into uh, into a conversation uh, with uh, uh, with God. Mm? Yeah. Yeah. Um and and the language here, I mean I don't want to press on this too strongly because mm-hmm. this this any any word in Hebrew we can translate mm-hmm. with a range of nuances. But the language we find in verse 13 of um turn back mm-hmm. or repent mm-hmm. or relent, this mm-hmm. nakam language is about mm-hmm. changing your mind. Mm-hmm. I mean when used for humans it is about repentance. Yes. So we get God here changing God's, God's mind, mind and repenting or relenting mm-hmm. from the evil mm-hmm. is the word, the ra, yeah. the bad mm-hmm. thing. That he was going to do against the people. Against the people, um, it's a very stunning response, it you is. know, on the part of Moses and God. And Moses is appealing to God's uh, uh, reasonableness. So come on, let's talk about yeah. this. You know, be reasonable, yeah. um, uh, and you know your your promises and your reputation is not this alone. Yes, <laughs> you yes know? that's right. Uh, uh, so uh, it's 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 uh, it's not that God has forgotten uh, these, but they are expressed expressed quite forcefully by. Uh, by Moses, 
You yes. know, Moses is reminding God of who God is, um, and therefore God listens. And uh, and as I said earlier, this is really indicative of the relationship that Moses uh, shares mm-hmm. with God. And I, I guess for me, the lesson that comes out of this is this: uh, we often miss these opportunities uh, for dialogue with God. Mm. Um, we hold conceptions of leadership or even godship uh, and we curtail ourselves from questioning them or challenging individuals in these positions we think oh you know this mm-hmm. individual is this or that and we shouldn't like whether it's the prime minister or the head of the church or or the head of an institution whoever it might be yep. you know we 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 respect the office and we think it they cannot be questioned Yes. Yeah. 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 And mo- yeah. Um, yeah. So fear. It's a. It's a fearful silence sometimes on the part of people, which uh, which cannot necessarily be construed as respect or obedience. Huh. No. Um, see. Um, so in a way. Um, you know, there are leaders, of course, who might be challenged by questioning, yeah. uh, which is actually indicative of their own uh, insecurity. But yeah. actually, it is within such dialogue uh, and uh, that one learns something new about the other. Hmm? Yeah, and yeah. I think for me, one of the differences, I mean, you pointed earlier to the to the leadership we see within mm-hmm. the Erin story that's part of this Um Aaron is only in dialogue with the people, mm. whereas Moses in di- is in dialogue with God first, mm. yeah. and then he'll yeah. he'll go down the yeah. mountain. And we know yeah. he does this several times right. with the people. Um, it is the three together, mm-hmm. and with Moses mm-hmm. almost as this mediator. But yeah. it's an interesting way to perhaps for people yeah. to think through what yeah. leadership. I mean, I, c- I come from a context where people find it very very difficult not just to question human leadership, but even to question, but also to question God or Definitely. doubt God or reproach God. And so, uh, but for me, uh, uh, as someone who who lives in the world of the Hebrew Bible, the lament tradition is all about this. Right? Yes. Uh, doubting, questioning, accusing, expressing rebo- reproach against God. And and all of this is allowed and possible within the covenant uh, relationship uh, that we share, uh, share with God. So therefore, I guess the major lesson for me is how we might enter into gen- genuine dialogue with chosen leaders uh, and, and take their contribution to uh, to the discussion with utmost uh, seriousness um, yeah. and you know uh, also and the same with God and then this opens up a level of possibility uh, it is uh, God who chooses not to act alone in such circumstances yeah okay and is willing and uh, open to being um, influenced in a way yeah. to change it's, God's it's mind. A one, it's a wonderful um Rich theology to, to think with. I yeah, think this, this yeah. Passage. Not change mind for the worse, but no, for the no, better. No, for the better. <laughs> but it gives us this permission to ask this why question, you mm. know, which is the lament. Why God? Why mm. have you allowed this to mm. happen? Why are you doing this thing? Mm. Um, if we trust in our relationship with God and God's faithfulness to us, mm then we can ask the why question. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be afraid. Yeah. Um, and I think the text is therefore encouraging us to overcome our sense of, um, you know, uh, humanness <laughs> in a way or or, or uh, humility or our minority uh, status, whatever, uh, um, and to speak, okay? Yeah. Uh, so it is this importance of human speaking and acting, uh, even to the extent of sacrificing one's life, life in the shaping of a future. Mm. Mm. Well, let's move on to Philippians chapter 4. If you'd like to know more about By the Well or any of our hosts, please visit bythewell.com.au.
So Philippians 4, 1 to 9, we've mm. been journeying with this text for a little while. Mm. What did you notice, Monica? Well, first of all, this uh, the, the the text reminded me of Bob Marley's song, Don't Worry, Be, be Happy. happy. <laughs> you, you know, um, and I guess if you had time, it'd be good to listen to the to the words uh, of that song. Um you know, uh, of course, no God is mentioned, but but no. but uh, but the Philippians text, in a way, is is uh, is also about anxiety and and worry, um, and um, yeah, and calling uh, calling us, telling us, or the writer is telling us not to be uh, anxious or or to worry and to shift in a way our belief uh, our belief systems. Um, um, so so therefore. Um, you know, in a way, uh, we we as individuals or as human beings and communities are wanting to be in control of everything, uh, and and that is not always possible because yes. there are there are instances when things go beyond our control, um, and so so I, I guess Paul is here inviting us to acknowledge uh, our dependence on the fact uh, that God is in control. Yeah, mm. that verse 6 of this passage, do not worry about anything, but in mm. everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, mm. let your requests be known to God. Mm. It actually sits really well alongside all the things we've just been mm. talking about in mm. Exodus. Mm. I really noticed, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about this passage, and this is a totally different tangent now, mm. is we have mention of two women mm-hmm. in verse 2, yes, the Euodia and the Syntyche. Mm-hmm. Um with this language of being in the same mind in mm. the Lord. I want to come back mm. to that. But uh, these women are described as co-workers, mm. which is language Paul uses for Timothy and other men. Mm. Um, he tells the community to um, help them, to support them in their ministry. They're, mm. they're, they've been journeying and working mm. with Paul. Um, and so they give us... Um, you know, yet another insight into the way, you know, Paul is often blamed for a lot of anti-female mm. um, teaching yeah. mm. uh, and yet we have these named women like, um, you know, Phoebe and Priscilla and stuff who, who Paul clearly considered co-workers mm-hmm. in mission. Mm. Uh, there were possibly church leaders in Philippi, mm-hmm. um, perhaps reasonably wealthy women. We know that there were women who had roles, particularly in these Macedonian churches where there seemed to be a bit more of a, a role for um these kind of women. He doesn't use language of deacon, but their roles are perhaps similar to mm. other women he mm. calls deacon. Mm. And I'll put it in the show notes, but um, Marg Mosco has a couple of really great um, passages mm-hmm. talking, giving us a little bit more context to these mm. women. So mm. if you want to preach a sermon highlighting the role of women in the early church, this passage mm. is an interesting way in. Mm. Mm. But the women are urged to be of the same mind in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And... This has been interpreted by male interpreters okay. that they were quarrelling mm-hmm. and they needed to behave and get along with each other, which oh. is a typical thing men do, right? When mm. women disagree, that's just female <laughs> conflict. Mm. Um, and and yet, actually, in the context of Philippians, this language of same mind we found in the hymn in chapter two, mm-hmm. where um, he tells them to be in the same mind as Jesus Christ, mm. and that is a mind of. It takes us back to the leadership question. Mm. Um, you know the the mind of Jesus Christ in that hymn that follows in chapter two is of being um, humble, of not regarding equality with God as something to be grasped by mm. force. Um, it's a mindset of um, obedience to mm. the cross. Mm. Uh, so it's modeling. I think Paul is making a connection across these two things about the kind of leadership that this women embody and that he's encouraging them to keep mm. embodying. Mm. And he'll do this throughout Philippians. He uses language of mind a lot, I think mm. about 10 times in this 
shortish letter, mm. he talks about the phreneo, the thinking the same thing, thinking mm. like Paul, thinking like Christ. Mm. We need to be careful. This isn't saying we all behave and believe exactly the same things. It's mm. not a flattening out of sameness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is about how we find our unity focused on a Christ-centred kind mm. of faith, allowing for the fact there might be difference. So are you therefore saying that, you know, it is kind of a, the, what, what the passage is calling for or what Paul is calling for is a shift in the in the belief system as to what we hold to be more important, uh, mm. to shift from that to, to surrendering yourself or accepting that God is in control? I, I think so. so. I think mm. that would be part of it. The, okay. um, to be of the... To be this, it's and the shorthand is literally the same as Christ. It's mm-hmm. the mind yeah. is implied, mm-hmm. um, is to adopt the attitude of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Which is always about pointing to God in service of the kingdom of God. Um, there's a certain humility in that. It's never mm-hmm. about us mm-hmm. and our status and our, um, yeah, mm-hmm. our, our grasping at things, yeah. I think. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, where we started with the anxiety and the joy, I was just struck by how much language of joy and rejoicing. Which again, if we are thinking of anxious church communities, there's a lot of change, there's mm. decline in mainstream ch- churches, mm-hmm. and yet this is about be joyful, mm-hmm. celebrate what God's done, mm-hmm. work mm. together. You yep. know, there's yep. a lot that's just really good words of encouragement, right. I think. Right, um, right. Yes, um, it is It is encouragement uh, for certain. Yeah, and, and you know, just that we as individuals need to learn how to relinquish relinquish uh, control, uh, acknowledge our dependence on uh, on God. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm. And and then on one another with this language of co-worker, co-worker. supporting yes. supporting the women. Um, for Paul, I think leadership is always done with others mm. as well. So yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yep. Shall we get to Matthew in that tricky parable? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hmm. Monica, we could just stop the podcast here and then we don't have to discuss Matthew 22. Yeah, yeah. a very, very complex uh, parable, I think. It leaves one with a sort of a bad taste in your in mm. one's mouth uh, because of the, of not just the, the, the violence uh, in the text by this uh, host uh, who, who is inviting uh, people to this banquet and some show up and we are not yeah. given any reasons as to why they don't show up like Luke the Luke uh, parallel does. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, there is a song that we learned in Sunday school. Oh. oh, I cannot come. I cannot come to the banquet. Don't trouble me now. Oh, I've I don't married a wife. That. I've bought oh, me a, a cow. cow. Oh, yes, I, I do know that one. Go yeah. <laughs> so, um, all the excuses. So, yeah, there make. are all the excuses that we, uh, that we might give, although there aren't too many people who'd want to miss a wedding and go for a lovely feast that follows. I know. It seems absurd, right? You're mm. getting invited to a wedding and you go, oh, no, I'm too busy plowing mm. my field. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, so, there's, with these parables, our our inclination, and this one in particular, does invite us to think and read it quite sort of allegorically. Mm. But we've always got to remember this important little word, like the mm. kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven may be compared mm. to, and then we get this scenario. So mm. it's not. Word for word, it's not X equals Y, mm-hmm. but it's painting a picture and we've got to kind of just immerse ourselves and let it challenge us. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is particularly an emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So we've got invited guests, twice the king invites people, twice those invited guests say, no, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. 
the first time it's kind of ignoring it. The second time violence enters from the guests, mm. right? They either say I'm too busy or they actually seize and kill and mistreat the messengers bringing mm-hmm. the invitation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. already we've got really bad behaviour mm-hmm. um, and the king retaliates. Mm-hmm. So we've got anger, language of anger and burning cities and destroying them, sending mm-hmm. troops. I mean this is, uh, you know. This ma- is huge. <laughs> yeah, this is. So again we need to be careful if we make this king God all of a sudden we've got some big theological questions. I think Matthew is probably drawing on a context and a community memory of Roman troops walking into Jerusalem. And so this is this is not saying God is exactly like this. It's mm. saying we know what this looks like, mm-hmm. right? We know what revenge looks mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's this generous invitation to everyone on the streets to come, but we've got another twist. Mm. <laughs> One man isn't wearing the wedding garment and he gets thrown out. Mm. Um, it's it's up and down. It's, yeah. it's grace I, and it's rejection and it's... Yeah. yeah, so it's not just not uh, not honouring the invitation is the problem. No. It is also honouring the invitation but not coming appropriately dressed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so so you are at fault uh, whether you, you if you don't come, you're also at fault if you do come but you are not but prepared. But you, you disrespect the yeah, wedding d- by... The, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know, just to be provocative, uh, one wonders why, why, the, why this response was so uh, negative on the part of people. What kind of a king was this king, you know, yes. who, uh, whose invitation is not honoured, either... Um, People feared him and were afraid to come because they didn't have the right clothes. Maybe, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or uh, the, the the wedding feast was being held at at the wrong time. Maybe it was harvest season, or yeah. they had a lots of other engagements that needed their immediate attention, and mm. therefore they couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't make it. Um, but so one can read it from the perspective of those who who were invited but didn't but want to yes. come, or. Yep. Um, um, so were the were the messengers who sent? You know, did they uh, did they exert their uh, their authority as messengers of this king and were forcing people to come? And so therefore, yeah. there was a fight ensued, and they were they were killed in the process. Uh, I don't know. It is a very very complex and troublesome text to preach on, and I. I wish anyone who attempts to do <laughs> so the very uh, the very best, but. Um, uh, but yeah, but you were mentioning uh, something about, you know, from a post-colonial perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, I think probably in its context in Matthew, where we know there were tensions between Jesus followers and Jews who mm. did not believe Jesus was mm. the Messiah. I, I think, and also in this context in Matthew's gospel, we're here in Jerusalem where Jesus is getting towards the cross mm. Um and we've had a number of parables that are clearly aimed at the Jewish leadership. So I think in its context there is an element of um, this is a criticism of those who've been invited in the past, the Jews who killed the prophets, who ignored God's call mm. kind of thing, mm. and maybe a subtle argument for Gentile inclusion but not mm. without its boundaries. Mm. But we need to be really careful because mm. that the that interpretation has led to a lot of anti-Jewish sentiment mm-hmm. and a justification for violence. Mm-hmm. Um New te- or theologian and New Testament scholar Sukhatharaja mm. writes about how British interpreters use this um, in India, mm. this and other parables, to again justify just imperial violence, mm. to say, mm. you know, if, if people are seen as outside the community, we can treat them how we like. Mm. So whatever you do as a preacher mm-hmm. <laughs> with mm-hmm. this text, mm. I think we do need to be really careful not to make God the king mm. and 
pretend or to flatten it out and pretend everything in this parable is okay. Mm. I think parables work to challenge our worldview mm. and to disrupt it. Mm. And this is disrupting, for me at least, mm. this disrupts um, my idea of God to remind me that God is also always judge, mm. you know, that there are demands mm. on the on the grace, there are expectations if we respond to mm-hmm. God's call. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it it's theologically disruptive. I think it's disruptive to think of the post-colonial lens. It's disruptive in the sense that it might cause us to think about our own world mm. and power and who's in and who's out mm-hmm. and um, what we accept as normative. Mm. Is it, you know, by asking the questions you asked, Monica, mm. about was this king good? Was this mm. reasonable way to behave? Why mm. did people actually to put ourselves in other people's shoes and think from the perspective of those who said no, was there a really good reason? Mm. So... I think it's a parable to play with if you're mm. going to preach on it rather yeah. than to try and say this means this. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good to raise the questions. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, the, the reasons for not attending might sound flimsy for mm. some of us yeah. uh, who are not aware of the context in which those reasons were offered. Yeah. Uh, but obviously this king didn't think there were good reasons. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and was upset by the prospect. But I think what, what needs to be emphasized is the fact that the, the invitation was wide uh, and yep. inclusive and, and people, some some can come. But what is important is also that if you do accept the invitation, you come prepared. Yes. Uh, you come wearing the, the right gra- there garments. There are expectations. Yeah, there are expectations, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, and there's something in that, you know, it's the Bonhoeffer thing to not sell out grace too cheaply. Mm. So we need to be expand, you know, if we, if we think maybe the contemporary church, mm. to be expansive and generous in our invitation. Mm. But that doesn't mean we don't also talk about the demands of discipleship and what the expectations of a life of faith look like. Mm. Perhaps could be a way to think about. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess you know the, the invitation from God is there for all of us to uh, to respond to. Yep. Uh, and you know uh, we need to put on these new clothes <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to yeah. uh, to attend. Uh, and I, I guess we need to uh, we can talk about what are these clothes. You know what does that. What, what do those garments like? uh, represent? You know, uh, what you know, whether it be the colors or qualities or characteristic, characteristic features of this garment that we, as invitees, uh, mm. are expected to don uh, when we uh, when we accept the invitation, and you know. Uh, and pay attention to the demands of the uh, of the invitation. I mean, we do send wedding invitations, uh, which which uh, state a dress code. We do, <laughs> we do this in various ways. Yeah. So why wouldn't we do it for a life yeah. of faith yeah. as well? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, everyone. Yeah. Mm. Thanks, thank Monica. you. Yeah. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.